Hey there, it's DM Scott. That's right, I'm talking to you. Yeah, you, the chubby guy wearing the This Is How I Roll t-shirt. Why don't you ditch that ratty old t-shirt that's two sizes too small for you? Where'd you get that? Baby Gap? Head on over to our Merchant Morris store on our epic new website. Grab yourself some Dungeon Masters Dojo logo wear. You won't regret it. Rock that t-shirt like the nerd boss you are. It's sleek and it's black, and everyone knows that black is slimming. Hell, I look like a slender 3XL when I'm wearing this black shirt. Not only will you look deceptively less chunky, but with that bold red and white logo, you'll look like a superhero. And who doesn't want to look like a superhero? So head on over to the DungeonMastersDojo.com merchant more to fill your bag with our swag. See you next time in the dojo. Support the Dungeon Masters Dojo by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and leave a review. Take the time to leave a comment as well. This helps make us more searchable to those listeners interested in content such as ours. But more importantly, we want to know how we are doing and what topics you would like to hear about. Another way you can support the DMD is by buying the DMD a beer so we can continue to deliver quality content to you, our listeners. This also helps us upgrade and replace equipment. Head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the DMD and buy us a beer or three or five. Don't forget to say something nice or mean. We don't care. You're buying us a beer. Now on to this week's episode. Hey, dude, what do you want to do about, um, oh boy, a throne? Should I even ask? I see the mists have brought you to me, William. Fall to your knees before your overlord, for I am... Yeah, for you am nuts. It's our first look at Von Richten's Guide to Ravenloft this week on the Dungeon Master's Dojo. Welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters and players alike. We hope to bring you tips and tricks to elevate your game and develop the art of dungeon mastery. I'm your host, Louis Zapante, and these are your Dungeon Masters, Scott Labby and Bill Robitaille. Let's head to the dojo and see what they have in store for us today. The Mist. The Mists. Spooky, spooky, spooky. It's Ravenloft. We got a Ravenloft book. There was already one put out. We got a Ravenloft book for 5th edition. There was already one put out. That's not a adventure. You're talking about Van Richten's? I'm talking about Van Richten's, yeah. The he or she of Van Richten's? I, I don't know anymore. I have no idea. Sometimes... I don't know. Sometimes he's a boy and sometimes he's a girl. I don't I don't understand. The pictures are confusing. I want Robert Pattinson back. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a, a small look at this book and we'll let you take us to through these myths. Well, we're talking about the dark gifts t- today. 
gifts today. He even speaks with a with a mist. Yes, we we talked about we talked about the uh, different gothic lineages from Unearthed Arcana. So I don't know if we really need to go over those because we just did it. Yeah, and there was only slight changes. Very slight changes. There's there's not a lot that was different, but these gar these dark gifts. I'm having a hard time with that today. It's usually I am the one that stumbles over yeah. simple words. That's because he's having multiple personality issues today. <laughs> True. Dark gifts. Let's talk about these. Let's. So as as everybody uh, is aware or should be aware, uh, Ravenloft is a place where dark powers are at play. So when you make a new character uh, for this this Ravenloft setting, you are able to select a dark gift from the dark gifts description section, which we're going to go over today. And it seems like they add a different kind of layer to your character, something kind of uh, setting specific, I guess, if you will. And, and these may or may not work well with a campaign outside of Ravenloft, depending on the situation. That's the way I look at it, too. Yeah. Even from the when I was reading the book, it kind of made it sound like, you know, you're making a character inside of Ravenloft, so that's when these should be chosen. Well, you do have the option that if you bring a character in from the outside, you can go with a dark bargain. Yeah. So I think the key to this is, you know, have a discussion with your dungeon master, right? Select your dark gift based on, you know, how well you feel it will work within your character. But I, I think, uh, you know, your character's particular story um, is an important facet to this. Well, and, it's going to speak to where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, it's going to help with your backgrounds as, as, you know, just like these these lineages that we discussed a couple of weeks back before the book came out, you know, how does it all fit and have, have those, have those discussions with your, your uh, DM prior to gameplay. So everybody's on, on the same page, but let's, um, let's look at some of these, uh, these dark bargains. Let's talk about yeah, that. Let's and, go there first. I mean, it, it tells you that the characters don't have a dark gift might gain one of the, in the course of their adventure, the DM's discretion, of course, but I mean, sinister forces are, you're, you're being surrounded by them all the time. Uh, the character might offer some of, you know, some of these whispers into the night, um, maybe lured in. And if character already has a dark gift and accepting a bargain, causes them to lose their current dark gift and gain a new one. Uh, you've been re-influenced, I guess if you've already have one, but this is where you get your characters from outside Ravenloft um, hooked with their, their dark gift. It's almost reminiscent of the uh, bargain between a warlock and their patron to some extent, you know, whereas yeah. there is a, a, a kind of dark feel to it, much like you would have with a warlock. Well, here you're guaranteed no matter where you're getting this from. It's coming from a benevolent force. Yeah. Your warlock, not necessarily. They, uh, they're your patron and, and for the warlock uh, may have an agenda that you might see a little questionable, but for them it's it's business as usual. But here th it is very, very straightforward. Uh, these are male malevolent, malevolent forces. 
Are you having multiple personality issues today, too? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> it's the mists of Ravenloft. It's that or the wife burns something upstairs. <laughs> Um, so any number of things can uh, can result in these dark bargains. We we see uh, a case where there's some some suggestions, right? Um, by no way a complete list. And I think a lot of with this this particular book isn't so much a complete work where it's it's a it's a campaign setting that's highly detailed, but I think it. It gives you a little bit um, enough to work on if you happen to be a veteran DM. This is really all you need. For a newer DM, this book can be a little bit challenging because it's not giving you enough really to help a new DM interpret the material. So if you are a new DM and you want to run this, certainly you know pick up the book, read what the book has to offer, but go back to the numerous other Ravenloft-related publications that TSR, Wizards of the Coast, or whoever the hell owned the company at the time of publication. <laughs> and and look at those. You could probably find them on Drive Through RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it also, hap- guess what? You can go to our webpage and you can find it on our Drive Through RPG affiliate link if you're interested in some of these earlier editions of the Ravenloft uh, material, we encourage you to, to go ahead and do that. And here's something that you should also know. It supports the the podcast and it doesn't cost you anything extra. No, not at all. Yeah. So go ahead and go ahead and do that. Uh, help us out a little bit. We, uh, we got to keep Lou in hair products. <laughs> One of us has to be in hair products. <laughs> Well, being that you're the only one with hair. <laughs> so these, these dark bargains. Um, here's some suggestions. A, a dark lord will negotiate with a party only if a character seals the deal by accepting their dark gift. You know, somewhat nefarious. Kind of like the Devil and Daniel Webster sort of, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, scenario. Time stops while a character is on the brink of death. A mysterious voice offers to save the character's life, but only if they accept its dark gifts that one i do like yeah that makes uh that fits in very well with this this particular setting i think i like the part where it, it, it tells you the offer of a dark gift might manifest in a dream or a moment of frozen time or when the character is alone typically only one character is aware of the bargain its terms or whether or not it was accepted it's not something that's going to be played out in front of everyone because every one of these is good it it was, should be very personal and I think keeping it secret at the table is going to kind of go a long way towards, I don't know, promoting a different feel, mm-hmm. a different vibe, you know, um, than one would maybe normally have at a table in another campaign setting. But I would encourage a, a, a DM and players alike to keep their dark gifts secret. And Oh, yeah, don't play, you know, one up and chip you. Know, oh, I got this, and I have that. At, no, yeah, yeah. Keep keep, it, the, keep those your cards close to your chest because that's gonna let them try to figure out what's going on. I mean, in a in a good aligned party, every hero there's different flavors of hero. Yeah. Well, you could be the hero here, a different 
flavor of hero, but again, multiple flavors of heroes or villains or just someone who's simply trying to survive. And with a setting like this, simply trying to survive is probably a, a pretty effective theme because you, you don't want to move into a setting like this and run a high fantasy. It's just not going to work. You yeah. know, it's like, um, uh, when dark sun first came out and it was a very different campaign setting than any of the others that came really before it, it wasn't high fantasy. It was like, uh, almost like a Mad Max kind of, kind of, it was grim. It was dark. It was yeah, Mad Max met Dune. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't want to run a game like that. Like you would forgotten realms. You got to get your mindset different. You got to get gear yourself up towards running a game in a, in this case, in a horror setting. And there's a lot of things that, um, that come with a horror setting. I would love to use this with existing characters at like maybe sixth or seventh level just to watch how these characters that have been building up in like a forgotten realm setting towards a certain certain theme yeah watch them watch that theme change you know watch the captain america of the group slowly become the punisher so another one an experiment or magical accident goes wrong um i think that fit fits in with that kind of mary shelley frankenstein uh theme yep um maybe one one of the players is 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 gravely injured by some something you know be it you know a werewolf vampire any any other normal scary type of thing uh they drag this player out of or character out of danger they find a a healer's hut or something or happen upon someone who happens to have a little bit of uh healing ability and they use whatever herbs they have on hand to attempt to keep the character from dying they do a fairly good job of keeping that from happening but the characters um changed now i I like the next one uh character breaks a vow or suffers a curse gaining a dark gift as a result uh yeah i could have so much fun with that A, a curse um you know from an old witch or some other some other thing a curse placed on a sacred area or whatever have you Mm -hmm. but a curse speaks so much to the setting very Um, much that that, i read that one i found the one that i'm going to be playing with that one works really well and then a character touches a mysterious amber sarcophagus and a force within entreats them to accept its influence in the form of a dark gift now it could be a sarcophagi it could be um, a mausoleum, a, a tombstone, an, an I mean, idol, and, 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 and you know, and, yeah, anything that would fit in the realm that would would seem significant. Yeah, and think out of the box with this. You know, maybe it doesn't have to be a sarcophagus. You know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe it doesn't have to be an experiment in someone's laboratory, but modify it however you see fit. A music box. A music box, yeah. The old- that plays us really, you know, just a, a little too slow to be comfortable. You know how that kind of winds down and and that, but it just keeps going on and on. Where the songs, if played at the right speed, would be catchy, but because it's so slow, it just gets really, really eerie. 
and you become entranced by the song and maybe a vision happens or something like that. So I, I think I would like to throw a music box at somebody. Or even a carnival-type fortune teller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, put, put a copper piece in. Yeah. I think of that old Twilight Zone episode where um, I think William Shatner was actually in it where him and his newlywed wife stop at a uh, a diner and he is just he's constantly um, putting quarters into this fortune teller machine and as a Twilight Zone and it was black and white they were probably nickels probably yeah probably yeah <laughs> uh, or even pennies who even knows pennies, you know? yeah um, but I see it as a as a very like Twilight Zone kind of kind of campaign setting where it's just shit doesn't work the not, way you're not, used yeah, to it not working, normally you yeah. know yeah um you know something like i'm expecting to see rod serling in his in his black suit with a cigarette <laughs> you know giving the opening narration i, I think they they reference the amber sarcophagus because it isn't one of the domains of dread in, in this book yeah it seems pretty specific yep I have, unlike Lou, who's probably gone through the book 17 times, um, I haven't read it yet. Only twice. I was disappointed in the book a little bit. Lou is not happy. He did mention that as more than as once. As a Ravenloft connoisseur, Lou is disappointed. But we'll get to that in bits and pieces. And yeah, bits, and this and is... bits and starts and, and tantrums and, and tirades. I was, um, I, was, I was telling Bill and Lou earlier today that I had, you know, I was... After Tasha's came out, I had no idea that anything could have possibly, the debate could have raged even even more so with any other book that uh, Wizards of the Coast put out. There was just no way in my mind that people would be more pissed off or even as pissed off as they were when Tasha's came out. And then this book came out. And oh boy. Lo and behold, people, you were proven wrong. People are up set yep just a little bit they are not happy boy the uh oh the facebook groups are exploding yeah gee, i'm glad i don't listen to any of that stuff i'm just going to read it through and, and come at it from my perspective remembering the the original ravenloft which i loved um i think i mentioned in an earlier episode that how i ran ravenloft in a mausoleum uh, several of invited people didn't show they were a little scared but the ones that did had a really good time and refused to ever do it with me again. Raven, Ravenloft is a, um, it is probably one of the most recognizable D and D franchises mm-hmm. um, of all time and is very much so beloved. And when people have the perception that you have tampered <laughs> with their, their Beloved, whatever it is. Uh, I don't know about tampered, friend. but just from what I've heard, I think sullied would probably be a better word. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel the same way about Star Trek Discovery. Um, but, <laughs> I was wondering how you're going to get a Star Trek uh, reference. But, um, you know, we're not, we're not here to talk about the Star Trek rubbish that is being uh, uh, <laughs> just, just pushed out upon these, these, these uh, poor, unknowing masses. Um, we're talking about Ravenloft. Yes. So let's, let's. So echoing soul is, uh, our first, um, our first gift, our first gift. 
And um, <laughs> the word gift in these is... <laughs> It's, oh, a, it's open it's to a, interpretation, a I suppose. Yeah. Backhanded compliment or something along those this, lines. This yeah. starts off simply with your soul isn't your own, or at least it wasn't always yours, right? So that sucks. Yeah. So whether it's uh, past lives, um, if your soul was swapped into a different body, or if you have a link connecting you to another being, um, you get these echoes from another life. And they grant you knowledge, talents, and, and even languages that you can't always explain. Um, so they have this very short list. You know, these new books are, are all about short lists, which, which is okay because now we have this massive uh, internet community that are going to be cranking out um, D100 lists for all <laughs> of these uh, D6 lists. So give it about a month. I was about to say, they do love the D6s, don't they? Yeah. Um, so your soul is linked with that of a person elsewhere, perhaps another domain, world, or plane. Uh, you've lived many times before my soul reincarnating each time I die rather than passing on. Um, my consciousness was removed from my original body and implanted into this one. Kind of cool. I think for mm -hmm. something like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Frankenstein's Prometheus being, you know, yeah. Um, I was physically and spiritually merged with another being. Um, that that kind of sounds like a Cinemax After Dark type of thing, you know? Um, <laughs> I share my body with an intangible, otherworldly force. Now we're in the theme, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, time fractures around me, and I sometimes collide with my own past or future. That would be fun to run at the table for someone who's got that dark dark gift, you know, where, um, you could do an, an, an entire adventure just around that. Well, imagine halfway through an encounter, all of a sudden, you know, twitch, twitch, nod, nod, and you pick up a, a different dialect, almost like you're, you have multiple personalities, but all you're doing is reliving one of your own. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I gotta have a good time with that as a DM. Um, mm -hmm. I would have, have a very good time with that. So you, you um you get you gain proficiency in two skills of your choice with the channeled prowess thing. Um inherent tongue, so you can speak, read, and write one additional language of your choice. Make it make it count though. You know, make it um don't pick orc, you know, or <laughs> goblin or something. Yeah, so, something you know, goofy, yeah. I think you should pick something from the land. Vistani. Yeah. You know, one of those. Yep. Exactly. Something, yeah, that would make sense. Something from one of the, the domains. Um, and then there's intrusive echoes. So immediately after you make an attack roll, an ability check, or a saving throw, and roll a one on a d20, your soul's memories emerge and overtake your perceptions and experiences. You might see people around you as someone other than who they are or you become disoriented by a double experience of the world around you, roll on the intrusive echoes table to determine the effect of these vivid memories and perceptions. And once they occur, these intrusive echoes can't manifest again until you finish a long or short rest. So here we got another short D6 list. You're charmed by a creature you can see for one minute or until the creature damages you. You're frightened by a creature you can see. For one minute or until the creature damages you, you perceive another time or place 
around you until the end of your next turn. During this time, you are blinded to your actual surroundings. You perceive a different time or place overlapping your surroundings. Your speed is halved until the end of your turn. Memories and sensations overwhelm you. You're incapacitated until the start of your next turn. And your memory is one of triumph. You can re-roll the ability check, attack roll, or saving throw that you just made. You must use the new roll, though. That could be interesting. It 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 could be very interesting. I would be caught in an endless time loop of intrusive echoes with all of my low rolls. <laughs> I, I feel like you know I I just couldn't I couldn't play a Ravenloft campaign because I would it it would be it would be hours and hours and hours and hours of me rolling on this table. <laughs> you know, and I. You know, I, I can't deny that. That's that's probably exactly the way. All right, Scott, take your D6. Go into the corner. Let us know when you come back. Yeah, it, I'll, I'll, I'll call you Thursday. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. So we go on to the, the next gift. Gathered whispers. Uh, you're haunted by spiritual beings, whether the souls of the departed or entities from another plane. Their voices endlessly whisper, taunt, and conjole, sometimes rising to an unearthly howl. Hmm. Only you can perceive the spirits, though, unless you allow them to speak through you. The spirits are intangible and invisible. Anyone who can see invisible creatures see only fleeting glimpses of the spirits as they haunt you. And then, of course, let's go to the mighty D6. You roll on the options or the whispers. So you have a council of the dead ancestors that watch over you. You could have fiendish presence vie for your soul. Unquiet souls are drawn to you and beg for peace. The spirits of those you've killed linger around you. Uh, an alien intelligence intrudes, up, intrudes upon your thoughts. You know, or a sibling I don't have shares my body. I like the spirits of those I killed linger around me. I think that would be that would be great for a fighter, a barbarian. You wouldn't have anybody around you. No, but, but boy, <laughs> boy, the room would be crowded with your characters. Lou. Oh, you'd need a stadium. Yeah. You, <laughs> I'd have to travel with a tour bus. No, it, it, the stadium. We'll call it, it the Thunderdome. The th- <laughs> it'd be like a Saturday at Foxwoods. <laughs> and we're moving on. <laughs> so you get, you get your spirit whispers. Um, you learn the message cantrip, uh, if you don't already you know it. And uh, require no components to cast it. When you cast a spell, the messages are delivered by one of your whispering spirits rather than you or the target's voice. Uh, That could be creepy. Uh, Yeah. Sudden cacophony. Uh, When you're hit by an attack roll, you can use your reaction to channel your haunting spirits, letting their voices howl through you. If the attacker isn't defeated, add your proficiency bonus to your AC against the attack potentially causing it to miss. And then, of course, you need a, a long rest to get back to that one. Excuse me. Yeah. You have your, put your glasses on, please. Uh, what did I read? What did I read there? Deafened. Oh, what the hell did I say? Defeated. Oh. Yeah, I, I should probably put my glasses on. And then put my gl- other glasses over those glasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you're 622. And, and and we ordered him the large print version of the book. It's at thirty two font. <laughs> of of course, it's six volumes. Uh, you know, just and and they're heavy. 
but no. and then you have voices from beyond immediately after you make an attack roll an ability check or a saving throw on a roll of one on a d20 the haunting voices grow too loud to ignore roll on the voices from beyond table to determine the effect of these voices so that's only a d4 so let's see if there's anything interesting in here shall we you have disadvantage on the next attack roll, ability check, or saving throw you make. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, you are deafened by the voices for one minute. Three, you are frightened of the creature closest to you other than yourself until the end of the next turn. If multiple creatures are closest, the DM chooses which creature you're frightened of. And number four, within the next ten minutes, you can ask your spirits about the results of a specific course of action that you plan to take within the next 30 minutes. You can receive an omen as if you had cast the augury spell. The omen manifests as whispering from the spirits perceptible only to you. It's a, a lot like um, uh, unmanaged schizophrenia. Yeah. You know, you have those those <laughs> uh, auditory hallucinations, which, I mean, you can have, um, you, you can have for a lot of interesting storytelling at the table if one of your uh one of your players has has this dark gift mm. a lot of voices there i would that no one else hears yeah yeah and so here, here's the person who argues with himself constantly yes do i uh do i need to shave no i don't yes you do no you don't yes you do we're gonna grow a beard no we like to be clean shaven then you stop you turn look left we didn't ask you yeah and they go back to your argument <laughs> When there's no one to the left of you. I I would want to use something similar to Call of Cthulhu for my Ravenloft games where after a while I would I would want to make sanity checks, have my players make some sanity checks. Mm. Especially if you were not native to any of the uh the, the demi planes of dread. That would make sense. Lou, was there anything like that in the book for the first 17 times that you read? I'm sorry, two. Two. I wasn't happy. I, I don't recall because I, I just glanced over it. I, just, I couldn't bear to read too much of it. He, he's going, every, every time we do an episode on this, he's going to start his sentences with, I wasn't happy. Um, much, much like he starts his conversations with me. <laughs> well, if you would do what you're supposed to do, I'd be happy. Oh, here we go again. Uh, all I, all I'm saying is, for once, I'm not the grumpy old man. Yeah, well, that yeah. dislikes everything. Yeah, you're. Uh, I mean, I'll wind up to it. Give, you're you're give slowly me being dethroned by. Nah, uh, it, the, it's one book. I, I mean, I have libraries of books that I've been pissed off about. So I'll give them this one. I'll throw them a bone. Probably, That's, it's probably a femur. I love this book, Lou. I love everything about it from front to back. Uh, let's let's. I almost talk, muted you. Let's let's talk living shadows. This one sounds interesting. It, it does. The shadow you cast is animate and ever present, almost like I know there was a Disney movie or something. Peter Pan. What was that? What it was? Peter Pan had a. You know, it was a Dick Van Dyke and like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or whatever. Oh, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. Where he's dancing with his shadow. Yes, I don't know. Yes, that, that, um, that is true. It was Chitty Chitty. Uh, no, that, yeah, that, was, Mary, Mary, that Pop- was Mary Poppins. Yeah. yeah. That's all I see is, you know, half halfling chimney sweep dancing with his shadow. Um, 
it's it's ever present even when lighting conditions would otherwise prevent it. So you're constantly walking around with this with this shadow. <laughs> Your shadow occasionally moves out of sync with you. Sometimes it appears to be undertaking random but mundane tasks. That could be fun. That could be real. You know, fun. your your uh, your shadow's eating a sandwich, <laughs> pouring you know, tea, or you're juggling, you know, <laughs> or uh, uh, making obscene gestures at at uh, at someone. Uh, any number of wildly entertaining things, but sometimes it acts out on your darker impulses. Right? We all have dark impulses from time to time, threatening or even attacking other shadows. You know, so you can't. You can't take your shadow to the shadow park for a walk because it just doesn't get along with the other shadows. You know, you gotta you gotta keep it. Uh, you gotta have a shock collar on it to straighten it out. You know, um, uh, but with some effort, you could bend the shadow to your will. So roll or choose on an option for the shadow quirk table to determine how your living shadow behaves. We're back up to uh, a d6 roll. Uh, my shadow often holds weapons or bare wounds that don't exist. When I'm distracted, my shadow panics and tries to get other people's attention as if it's desperate to escape me. That's, <laughs> that is fun. That, that. Yeah. It's, it's trying to crawl into, you know, someone's uh, shopping bags or whatever, or into a wagon. Um, um, that one would be fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not being well cared for. Someone please read it. Call DCF. <laughs> When it's uh, not being watched, my shadow makes threatening gestures or creeps towards people. You know, you got the pervert uh, <laughs> shadow. My shadow's movements mirror mine incorrectly. When I raise my left hand, my shadow moves its right. <laughs> Your shadow has dyslexia. <laughs> that is great. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, it, it's... Uh, it's it's like when someone our age goes out to the dance floor um, at a wedding... And all the young kids are like doing the Macarena or whatever, you know, whatever that whole. <laughs> and we end up doing the YMCA. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you know, you you, you 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 fuck the whole thing up because you're old and uncoordinated. Um, at least that's my experience. That's why I sit and drink. Uh, my shadow fiddles with or occasionally breaks tiny non-magical objects. That, <laughs> that that's fun. I I would not want to limit my players to just one. I would be like, listen, every, every opportunity we have, you're rolling that D six. <laughs> um, there's a slight, but noticeable delay between my movements and those of my shadow. Like your shadow's not paying attention. You know, you start walking down the street and he's like, Oh shit, I better catch up. Uh, grasping shadow. You learn the mage hand cantrip. If you don't already know it and require no components to cast it. The hand created by the spell is shadowy, but is not bound to your actual shadow. So your spell casting ability for this spell is intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. Your choice when you gain this dark gift. Shadow strike. When you make a melee attack roll, you can increase your reach for that attack by 10 feet. Not bad. That's huge. Yeah. Your shadow stretches and delivers the attack as if it were you. You can use this feature a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. And you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So if you happen to have that, was it polearm fighter? Yeah. Or something feet. I mean, you could you could really reach out and touch someone. <laughs> yeah, because then you'd be reaching out you know, polearm gives you ten feet and you're reaching out ten feet past that. But the the feet gives you so like an extra stretch uh stretch, doesn't it? Polearm mastery? Yeah. 
Um, I think it allows you when people enter your yeah you get a, you get an attack of opportunity when they enter your space uh, as opposed to just exiting yeah and uh, ominous will which is an awesome character name if you're <laughs> or, or NPC you know if you're running a Ravenloft cam just name him ominous will well um, now you know my wife's pet name for me. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a lot of them, and none of them are as flattering as this. I've 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 heard a, I've heard quite a few. Yeah, she's invented words. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately after you make an attack roll, an ability check, or a saving throw, and roll a one on the d twenty, your shadow exerts a will of its own and might assist or hinder you or those around you. The next time you or your creature within thirty feet of you that you can see makes an attack roll, an ability check, or a saving throw, roll a d four. If the number is odd, reduce the total by the number rolled. If the number is even, increase the total by the number rolled. Once this effect occurs, you can't it can't happen again until you finish a long or short rest. This I do like the randomness of yeah. the will. You don't get to choose the dice yep. to. The living shadow thing sounds like a lot of fun. I can see Shadow Strike being used by an entire party, but only when someone's trying to run away. Because you know they're going to chase them down and kill them. Yeah. So, yeah, they're going to use the shadow strike to reach out to 10 feet and take them down before they get away. Yeah, we don't have to run as far now. There you go, you bunch of lazy bastards. <laughs> I think you can you can add some lighthearted moments to uh, a Ravenloft game without going overboard, you know, with this shadow thing. And I would start it as something kind of lighthearted, you know, a minor nuisance, and then... Um, escalate escalate yeah so i'd bring this to full bore like amityville horror yeah you yeah know, you start hitting like eighth level when you get ready to make that next tier yeah that's when this thing would be just there is nothing comical about anything it does at that point yeah your 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 shadow was kind of like kind of like a goofy puppy and now now it's now it's an asshole you know it's sinister it's got kind of like this wickedness all right, then you have uh, Mistwalker. The mist grip all who tread the domains of dead, but you know how to slip through their gaps. Uh, you can navigate the mist successfully given enough time and a little luck, uh, but this freedom comes with a price. If you remain in one area for too long, the mist finds you and drain your life force. Guess you're uh, a bit of a nomad. Uh, roll on the misty traveler's table to determine uh, how the dark gift is imparted to you. So, number one, oh, we're back to a D4. Uh, you learn a secret about the nature of the mist. Ever since, you can manipulate them, but the lands you walk have turned against you. Number two, you fled into the mist to escape someone or something that's hunting you. You can never rest for long knowing you're still being pursued. Uh, three, you're, you're part of an organization, family, or an itinerant community with experience traveling the mist. They've taught you how to do the same. And four, the mist stole you from your home and fractured your memories of where you're from. You've been on a quest to find your way back ever since. That covers a bit of a gambit for just four items. Yeah. yeah there's, there's a little bit of free will, and then there's none whatsoever, and there's a couple in the middle. So a misty step, you can cast the Misty Step spell requiring no spell components, and you must finish a long rest before you can do it again. Your spellcasting ability for this spell is Intelligence, Wisdom, or Charisma, your choice. 
when you gain this dark gift, if you have spell slots second level or higher, you can use a spell with them. Then you have Mist Traveler. Uh, when you enter the mist, intent on reaching a specific domain, you are treated as if you possess a mist talisman key to that domain. To use this trait, you must know the name of the domain you have chosen as your destination, but you don't need you don't need to have previously visited uh, the land. This trait doesn't allow you to bypass domain borders closer to the Dark Lord's will. Let me read that again. This trait doesn't allow you to bypass domain borders closed by the Dark Lord's will. And then there's Poisoned Roots. When you finish a long rest, the world around you in a 10-mile radius becomes a siphon that will eventually leach away your vitality. You can remain in the area safely for a number of weeks equal to your constitution modifier, minimum one. Therefore, each time you finish a long rest in the area, you must succeed on a DC 15 constitution saving throw or gain one level of exhaustion that can't be removed while you remain in the area. That sucks. I, I like it, though. I, I Oh, I like it, too. But you're basically, you were forced yeah, to move from domain to domain. I, I see I see every every adventure with this character ending much in the same way that every episode of The Incredible Hulk back in the <laughs> 70s did. You know, where Bill Bixby... Or, or Kung the, Fu. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, he's off walking away again, yeah. you know, all by himself, and the Lonely Guy song is playing. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's and it's sad he can't stay in 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 one location long because, well, it would kill him <laughs> or her. It's uh, it's a it's a cool thing. It makes for a, a tragic character. Yeah, yeah. You know, you. I would even go as far as to say, you know, this 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 person, whoever it is, they. They poured all this research into uh, figuring out the intricacies of the mists so they could get the hell out of there. And they, they uncovered a ton of knowledge about it, but they, they didn't, they didn't uncover it all. Right. There's, so, there's a piece missing. Yeah. Maybe they jumped the gun and were like, all right, I'm bouncing. I'm out of here. I got it all figured out. And then, you know, through a series of unfortunate events found out, well, you haven't quite figured it out. Um, but now, now they're stuck in some kind of cyclic loop. Yeah, and, you, and you they're can, forced to bounce from from domain to domain because they can never stay in one long enough to figure out that last piece. Yeah, and and you can um, you can really have a good time with a character story with something like this. Well, the game masters would have a good time. The character would would curse us something horrible. Yeah, but that that just this sort of thing makes for um, a tremendous amount of entertainment. A character growth and depth. Oh, and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it is. It is just. I I like it. And here comes Lou to dispute that. You're upset. I'm not disputing. I'm just gonna say it's gonna put a lot more work on the game master it, as well because now you can only. If you have an adventure that needs to be done somewhere here, you're on a time limit, and yep. he's not gonna want to stay there because, as we know, six levels of exhaustion will kill you. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's a good point because I think a lot of what's in this book puts a lot of extra work on the DM. So for a new DM, this may not be the best. I I don't see this as an option for long term campaigns for your new your new dungeon no, masters. No, a one shot maybe. I want maybe, you, yeah, one you two know. three. You know, a couple weeks maybe maybe uh, the the month of October play Ravenloft, uh, but. 
yeah, I don't see this as being a very long term game because it it is going to be an awful lot of work for your your, for your dungeon masters. And not only that, this is probably the one of the well, this is one of as of right now that we're reading is one of the only dark gifts that could potentially kill somebody. Yeah. So far, I would love to play a Ravenloft one shot for the month of October with Aaron and Jared from level up your gaming. I was just th- the, thinking the yeah, same the thing. Horror guys. Yeah, yeah. You know that, that would be, and hey, we like horror too, but come play in our sandbox. Yeah. Or, or even just hand it over to Jared who, or, or Aaron for that matter. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I don't know if Jared would do it because there's no Glocks <laughs> in Ravenloft. <laughs> there, are, there are no Glocks in Ravenloft, but that, that, that would be a t-shirt. <laughs> that that would be that would be a fine t-shirt indeed so let's let's move on to second skin no this is not a condom it is a dark gift um well just i'm i'm about to say the word yeah <laughs> there's another side of you that most people never see when you show this side of yourself you might become another person entirely a celestial like Avenger or a walking nightmare. I'm thinking Jekyll and Hyde. Yep. And I love it already. Um, whatever the specifics of this form, it exaggerates some drive or hidden nature within you. Um, roll on or choose the second f- the second form table to determine this other side of yourself. An exaggerated version of your own form. Hybrid form of humanoid and beast. That's kind of... So a lot of this is is some Jekyll and Hyde stuff here, yeah, yeah. Which, I, which I dig. An angelic, a demonic, or an aberrant form. A vaguely human-shaped creature made out of slime. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, a fae-like shape, either brooding or passionate. And a body constructed of metal, stone, or machinery. I don't really like that one. Well, um, well I'm, I'm thinking maybe... Change them around. A a body constructed of metal stone. So, turn them into a gargoyle. I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's um. You know, or or they they become the suit of armor, the hollow suit of armor. There's your metal. Yeah. So you could use these, like from that Scooby Doo episode. Even a possessed warforge. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a ways, couple ways to get around, or that. or even reverse it. You know, maybe if you're a warforged, your form becomes one of flesh. I like that. I like that too. Yeah, you know where it's like, oh, you know, so I'm almost, hideous. He's a human with a charisma of eighteen. Ah, don't look at me. Or or even just <laughs> feeling things differently. You know, yeah. I mean, you think yeah. you think of a uh, uh, a a warforged, um, war. You know, you 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 go from that to a a human form, and you know you you now feel sensation of cold and heat, and and you can taste food now. You could taste food. You and have, breathe. You have genitalia, so you have a distinct gender. We always know. go there. Yep, but imagine what that 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 would be like. You know, you're Pinocchio who finally became a boy. Well. Not to say that, but like I said, now he has to learn or remember or has to think about breathing because he yeah. never doesn't have to do it before. Yeah, so I see him passing out a lot, you know. <laughs> Dude, you forgot to breathe. Um, and But uh, on the plus side, you'd finally get to find out what the outhouse was for. 
Yeah. Uh, it's you, not just a small reading room. Yeah. <laughs> the tin man got his heart. That's yeah. Yeah. Uh, quite, quite literally. And then, you know, if you really liked it, then you would, you would really try hard to be in that form as frequently as possible. Um, so transformation, you could cast the altar self spell to appear in your second form. When you do so, you gain the effects of the spell's change appearance option and cannot end it to gain the benefits of different options. Uh, casting altar self in this way requires no spell slot, and you must finish a long rest before you can cast it this way again. Your spell casting ability for this spell is intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. You're probably picking up on a theme here. If you have spell slots of second level or higher, you can cast this spell with them. When you cast this spell using this feature, some cosmetic aspect of your second form remains after the spell ends. This visibly marks you unless you actively hide or disguise it. The mark is a perceptual change, such as scaly skin, stunted wings, eyes without pupils, or horns. The mark fades after you finish a long rest. I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, a little lingering there. Yeah, involuntary change. Certain circumstances can activate your dark gift. You know, if you uh, just happen to stop at the rust, the truck stop for, you know, some uh, a piece of pie and a cup of coffee, and <laughs> you know the uh, couple of uh, you know truckers uh, give you a hard time, and uh, you warn them, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And then they keep pushing it, and then you know, it happens, and you start. Bust an ass in in the truck truck stop. Boom! Yep. You you're, you're suddenly turn fay like. Yeah, <laughs> that'll teach them. Yes, I've turned into Tinkerbell now. <laughs> Run in fear. Um, so certain circumstances can activate this dark gift. After you experience this catalyst at the start of your next turn, you must succeed on a DC fifteen charisma saving throw or use your action to cast Alter Self as described above even if you've already used it. So uh, roll on or choose an option on the change catalyst below. DMs, feel free to play with this. You know, add some more stuff. Seeing a particular phase of the moon, the smell of a certain type of flower, the sound of uh, ringing temple bells, hearing a particular melody, touching pure silver with your bare skin. Seeing someone resembling a specific individual. I think hearing a particular melody is, I love you, you, you <laughs> and, love me. And you turn into a purple dragon. <laughs> That'd be enough to, to make an involuntary change for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then we go to symbiotic being. This one sounds interesting. Venom. Yeah. Yeah, I, I spoiler I, alert. Yeah, I, I feel as though um, with these books, they have a bunch of uh, comic book writers that are out of work uh, because now they're making movies, and they're <laughs> like, "Hey, come over and and write some rule books to us." And like, oh, we have a we can put together the Marvel Cinematic Universe between this and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, pretty much. Yeah, and yeah. if we got the Turtle package, we could do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as well. Um, <laughs> How long have you had that one sitting in your pocket? <laughs> Several years. <laughs> okay, so symbiotic being. Uh, 
a second being resides within your body along with you and manifests physically somewhere on you and relies on you for its survival. At the same time, it offers you knowledge and other assistance, either of its own volition or because of your intertwined nature. The symbiotic has its own personality and agenda, which might be at odds with yours. If you ignore the symbiotic's desires, it might strive to interfere with you. There's no way to be rid of the symbiotic. Uh, while you have this dark gift, even if you go to drastic lengths, such as severing the parts of your body where the symbiote resides, it reappears on your body in another location at the next midnight. So once again, we have a chart to jump on to find out what sort of symbiotic is being is sharing your body. So number one, a tiny humanoid facial feature protruding from your torso, palm, or back of your head. Hmm. Number two, an alien appendage inside an unhealing wound. Ooh, that one sounds gross. Burrowing worm-like beings, uh, an intrusive thought that inhabits your mind, a living tattoo, a crystal gross that replaces a portion of your body. I'm I'm attracted to the living tattoo. Yeah, like uh, Maui from Moana. I was just going to say that same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have children. I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. You don't have to have kids to enjoy Moana or Beauty and the Beast. I I watched it by myself. Yep. (laughs) I I like the the tiny humanoid facial feature protruding from your torso. Like like what's his name from, um, oh, what the hell was that movie? Total Recall. Total Recall, yep. Um, the Resistance Leader. Yep. And the facial, oh, uh, the back of your head, like uh, Professor Quirrell from Harry Potter. Yep. Sorcerer's Stone, yep. Yeah, so you watch out for those guys in Ravenloft wearing the big turbans because they probably have some sinister wizard's face on the back of their head. That's how you could tell. There you go. Or they grow their hair long. Then you know, it cuts it here. <laughs> Trying to blow the hair out of their face. (laughs) So you have uh, an entwined existence. Uh, Your symbiote is a separate entity with its own physical form bound to yours. It isn't a separate creature. It relies on you to survive. It has intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores. The DMs will set the symbiote's abilities and determines them randomly. Roll 46 for each score. Uh, And they can see and hear using their own or using your senses. The symbiote speaks, reads, and understands two languages, one that you speak as well as one appropriate to its nature. Choose one of the following skills, arcana, deception, history, intimidation, insight, investigation, nature, religion, perception, or persuasion. Nearly listed them all. You can gain proficiency in that skill if you don't already have it, representing your symbiote's counsel and guidance. If you die, so does your symbiote. If you are subsequently returned to life, your symbiote revives as well. Then you have sustained symbiosis. Your symbiote has a vested interest in your survival and takes steps to ensure it. When you fail a saving throw, you can choose to have your symbiote expend one of your hit dice to roll it and add the number rolled to your saving throw, potentially turning a failure into a success. If it uses this feature on a death saving throw... You succeed on a dex save and regain one hit point regardless of the number rolled on the d20. Once you succeed in a saving throw due to this trait, the symbiote can't use it again until you finish a long rest. And then there's symbiotic agenda. The 
symbiote has an agenda that drives it and expects you to assist in its achieving these goals. How permissive or patient it is in resolving its agenda depends on the personality. Work with your DM to work out those details. If you have an opportunity to advance its agenda and don't act on it, the symbiote can try to force your hand. you got to succeed on a charisma saving throw of DC 12 plus the symbiote's charisma modifier or be charmed by the symbiote for 1D 12 hours. That's, that's a chunk of time. While charmed, you must try to follow the symbiote's commands. If you take damage, it's not self-inflicted. You can repeat the saving throw, ending the effect on the roll. And let's see what we have for symbiotic agenda. The symbiote seeks to destroy a specific type of being, such as a fiend, troll, or paladins. Uh, the symbiote craves knowledge and is determined to solve a mystery or learn a secret. Uh, it also wants to bring a prophecy to fruition or to thwart one. The symbiote seeks to defend servants and interests of powerful beings or organizations. The symbiote wants to keep you from harm at all costs and believes it knows what's best for you. And the symbiote re- uh, seeks to experience new sensations. The more bizarre, the better. I would I would have two players play this one character. One would be the symbiote and one would be the player and when the symbiote takes over then the the other player gets to do their thing. Um but I would want two players at the table to play the symbiote with a relationship much like the one I have with Lou. <laughs> so that means we're going to be playing this character. Yeah. And um, be- because I do believe that Lou at times delights in my torment, and he would be the perfect symbiote. But I think it would add something really cool <laughs> to the table dynamic if two different players played the same character. Um, and there was a struggle I, of wills. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah. And in, and instead of, you know, so the, the other player during the session zero, the symbiote would have to select its symbiotic agenda and stick to it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be one on the D six table, but oh, no, could, you could come up with something between the, the other player and the DM that would be, Perfectly acceptable and probably wildly entertaining. Um, and it would be, I think it would be a good time. Yeah, you'd have to have two players that, that probably have played together for a while. Yeah. Uh, I think two players that have don't really know each other personally very well would have a little difficulty playing this. Yeah. But you have a couple people that have been playing together for a while that know each other and know which buttons to push. And let's face it, you both got some big ass candy red buttons. <laughs> so <laughs> and there's fingers of flailing. <laughs> Let's talk about the touch of death. Shall we? The dim mock. Oh, that's the, that, the wrong uh, one. Yeah, wrong one. Yeah. Um, your touch is pain, harming whoever you come in contact with. Like Edward scissor hands. <laughs> The deathly power within you is beyond your control, afflicting any who touch your bare skin. By the same token, you can deliver death to your enemies with your touch. So roll on the table. Uh, Our D6, your body is alchemically or biologically altered 
infusing you with deadly chemicals. The magic of a slighted druid or fae makes small plants wither and insects die in your presence. Um, a promising career with Orkin. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you're a living bug zapper. <laughs> <laughs> you're the harbinger of a grim prophecy. Any, any creature your touch damages is marked with a temporary scar of a group, fiend, deity, or other force that takes an interest in you. So yeah, whatever your adventuring party logo is uh, appears on whatever whatever body part, um, and the and the brothels in Ravenloft all lock their doors when they see you coming. Um, you survived a near death experience, but shouldn't have. Ever since death and ill omens follow you, final destination type of stuff. Yep, you are out of sync with time or reality. That's most D and D players. <laughs> Uh, anything you touch is warped by the distortion. And every time you touch a creature, you hear the laughter of someone you once harmed. That would be great. Um, that would be fantastic. And I would want uh, Mark Hamill's Joker on the uh, <laughs> soundboard. Yeah. yeah. So death touch, you can focus your deadly touch against your foes. As an action, make one unarmed strike on a hit. The target takes an additional 1d10 necrotic damage. The damage increases by 1d10 when you reach 5th level. At, it'll be 2d10 then. 11th level is 3d10, and 17th level is 4d10. I see a badass monk coming from this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, inescapable death. When you hit a target with an attack roll and deal necrotic damage, you ignore the target's resistance to that damage. That's pretty big. That's good. And withering contact. When you start your turn grappling with a t creature or grappled by it, the creature takes 1d10 necrotic damage. This would pair nicely with the, is it the grappler feet? The grappler feet, yeah, um, on, on your on your monk. Yep. Who is inherently a hugger. Yes. <laughs> just, <laughs> ah, just give me a hug. Yeah. This is what we do at the monastery. We hug. Oh, Lou's making the face. Lou's making a face like he just took a bite of a broccoli-flavored cake. Like, or like, a, a broccoli, kale, and onion smoothie? Yes. Ugh. Yeah, the windows are still open. <laughs> but it kind of contradicts itself. You know, when you first started reading, it says your, your touch is pain, harming whoever you come in contact with, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then if you read death touch, you have to focus that. To, so you're not, you're not harming everybody you come in contact with, really. And that, and that um, that's a good point. And that kind of sucks because... Because at first I was thinking rogue. Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same thing. It was like, that would be awesome. But it's really not like because you have to focus this, you know, with one attack action. Yep. I would I would modify that because there, there's some good storytelling that can happen with that, I think. Because imagine if there were, there were two characters at the same table, right? And they had a fondness for themselves, but one was the Warforged who could transform himself into a flesh and blood person. And the other one was the person that was the object of his love. And, but he in his flesh and blood form could, could have that kind of relationship with his person, but the other person can't because they can't touch anyone without, without hurting them. So um, that's a very macabre lady hawk. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and I think stuff like that makes for great storytelling oh, in this yeah. environment, you know. Um, they would have to wear gloves all the time. Oh, yeah, yep. 
you know, they couldn't do something as simple as, as an embrace, you know, and maybe they discover this ability they have, or they, they ended up with by, by hugging a child and killing the child, you know, but, you know, out of, uh, uh, without even knowing, you know, that's how they discovered this, this, this gift, if you will, is, is by, uh, you know, a simple act of, of humanity that, that ended up going, going awry. And I just, the, I do like the war forged and, and human aspect because, you know, the human could touch the war forged, the war forged wouldn't be damaged, but couldn't feel the touch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's tragic. And I think tragedy, tragedy is, is something big and more so than maybe like body horror, or gore, but that, right. I think that, yeah. yeah, the the cruelty of of tragedy, you know, is, well, that drives a story much faster than than gore. And, yeah. And, well, the the other thing I I found a little confusing was, and after listening to Bill, he said, you know, this would be a good class for a monk. Well, not really, because he couldn't use his flurry of blows with this, because he can only use that one. He only gets the one attack. He'd only get the one attack that would do the damage, yeah. but he'd still get his flurry of blows yeah, because that, the, it would exp- the first one would deal the necrotic damage. The rest would just be standard attacks. Right, but I'm, the way it's written, I, or the way I originally thought about it, it was, oh, that'd be cool if all of his attacks get it. But no, they don't. No. Yeah. Uh, they, do, they do not. But I, I, like, I like these tragic ones. I like the, the sad ones. That's good. It's good stuff. I like the fact that as we read this, I look at Lou, and now I know what my face looked like when we were doing the psionics book. That I, I'm gaining a little pleasure from that. That's your face most of the time, Bill. <laughs> that, I know. That's <laughs> this is true with with everything. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But but see now I, I instead of like you know being an oversized parrot with a mirror next to me, I can just look at Lou while we're reading this book, and I, and I gain a a, a certain amount of. Macabre satisfaction from that, Lou. I I still love you, buddy. Not funny. Let's move on <laughs> before I thunder wave you. <laughs> so let's go on to the watchers. Let's. Uh, something is always watching you and draws um, ethereal spirits that can take the form of creatures made of shadow stuff, usually in the shape of tiny beasts that follow you and gather in your general vicinity. These creatures act like normal examples of their kind, but their behavior suggests a hint of malice. No matter what precautions you take, you can't permanently drive these spirits away. They always return, wait just beyond the reach of deterrence, or later crawl out of your clothes and equipment. Uh, And then we have a, ooh, we're up to a D8 on this one. Uh, Let's find out what kind of forms these spirits will take, shall we? Uh, One, carrion eaters like a jackal, raven, or a vulture. Two, inescapable judgments, uh, animate tools of punishment, drifting eyeballs, religious iconography. Uh, Three, night wings, uh, bats, moths, and owls. Four, plague carriers, fleas, rats, and squirrels. Uh, Five, unnatural observers, uh, animate objects, clockwork devices, otherworldly voyeurs. Six, sea skulkers, crabs, eels, and jellyfish. It's got to be kind of creepy having a jellyfish follow you around. Yeah, making making all sorts of gross noises because it's trying to walk on land. Yep. Seven, stray souls, uh, ghost orbs, shadows, ectoplasmic wisps. And eight, venomous vermin, 
scorpions, serpents, and spiders. I think that's kind of boring. It depends on how you play it out. I would want something like imps or there was a movie back in the 70s with um, Kim Darby called Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. And her and her husband bought a house. And of course, there was the 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 uh, the the old guy, the old guy in every seventies and eighties horror movie. That, I went to school with him. Yep yeah, that that <laughs> that nobody listened to. You know, uh, the the uh, fireplace is barred up. Don't don't take the boards off the fireplace. Leave it the way it is. And uh, of course, they don't listen. Yeah, the first yeah. night. Well, we're gonna have a fire. Let's yeah, pull the boards off. Let's burn the boards out. We just bought a house. Everything's fine. A crazy old man doesn't know what he's talking about. Just like the guy at Camp Crystal Lake who warned all the all, all, all the topless teenagers, um, you know, don't go to Camp Crystal Lake. You're all going to die. Of course, what did they do? They went to Camp Crystal Lake, fornicated, got killed. Nobody listens to the crazy old man. No. Nope. So they take it off, and now there's these little little red guys with pointy heads that were, were living in there, and they wore, like, fur jackets or something like that. It was, uh, But they were creepy little guys. Um, things like that. Let's That's just, what I would let's want Let's just to be a lesson to you. When we're down in the Lyceum and I tell you things, you just yeah. pay attention. Crazy old Bill talking all his junk again. <laughs> so we have some some other abilities that go along with this. So we have borrowed eyes. As an action, you can influence the presence uh, guiding the watchers for one hour. For the duration, you gain advantage on intelligence, uh, investigation, and wisdom perception checks. And you can't be blinded. Once you use this feature, you need a long rest. And then Dread Presence. You have disadvantage on Charisma Deception, Charisma Performance, and Charisma Persuasion checks made against creatures that can see the Watchers. And you have disadvantage on saving throws made against the Scrying spell. Uh, You can temporarily disperse or hide the Watchers with some effort. Within one minute of work and a successful DC 15 Charisma Animal Handling check. Excuse me. Uh, you can suppress the borrowed eyes and dread presence for one hour. Once you successfully suppress these features, you can't do again until you finish a long rest. So you can temporarily hold them at bay. Not bad. Lou's making that face again. I kind of like it. And Lou muted himself. I love it. My prayers have been answered. <laughs> Not funny. I'm going to thunder wave you. <laughs> But what I'm trying to figure out why is why some of the dark gifts or only should, you know, their bad side would come up only if you roll a one on the D20. And that was like the first two or three. But then the rest, they just had all negative side effects built in. Maybe the writers got lazy. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. Um, it, it, it begs an answer. Um, and I... And, you know, one of the reasons why I think this is probably a book best suited for an experienced DM is because of stuff like this. Because I think when you get in there and you're looking at it, you're going to want to make some modifications for reasons just like that. Most definitely. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, new new DMs, you know, kind of proceed with caution. Um, but if you want to run it, go ahead and run it. Listen to the Dungeon Masters Dojo podcast. Hopefully we could give you some tips and tricks to elevate your Ravenloft game. As best as I can tell, your roll one on a D20 are some of the um, effects that will supersede your own will. Where the others are, you know, inconvenient, but 
like the intrusive echoes and um, the ominous will, both those will basically take over on you. And that's where the one comes in. Okay. He's still not convinced. No. Do you want to wrap it up then, Lou? We're going to wrap it up. I'll put this baby to rest. Yep. And that's our look at Von Richten's Guide to Ravenloft and our first look at the Dark Gifts. See you next week in the dojo. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo, or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you, and have a good day.